Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, I want to go and uh, continue talking about what we have been talking about, but I'm going to kind of do a little review. Now, the reason I want to do the review is this. What we're talking about is the foundation of your faith. It is the foundations of Christianity. And it's really important that we grab these things. Now, so much of this is in the book of Genesis. And unfortunately, this is just my opinion, probably 50% of Christians have never even read the book of Genesis. But it has the foundations for your faith. So in Genesis chapter one, there's creation. God creates Adam and Eve and God says, let them have dominion. That's what God created them for, to have dominion. In uh, Psalms chapter eight, it says that he put all things under under their feet. They had authority concerning all things. So Satan comes in and tempts Adam and Eve and they bow their knee, right? Uh, the Weymouth translation of, of uh, Romans 5, verse 17, I want you to l- listen to this. For if through the transgression of one individual, right? Now we've told you this before, we'll say this again. The whole Bible is about two men that have the same name, right? And it's your relationship to those two men. Both of them are named Adam. The first one lived in a garden, with his wife, Eve, and he messed things up. He represented you in everything that he did. And here's the problem. He did not reproduce in the condition that God created him. He reproduced in the condition that he fell to. Uh, Years ago, before we we, we had the internet the way that we do today, when uh, we would have a service like this, they would be recording that service. And then they would take a cassette tape or a disc, right? And they would take that master and they would run copies, right? They, we had, I don't know how many, what they called slaves that would make copies of the master. And five minutes after you walked out of the service, you could go and pick up a copy, right? But if the master was bad, do you know what all the copies were? They were bad, right? Now, what Adam was, was he was the master. But again, he went bad. And he reproduced not in the condition God created him, but in the condition that he fell to. So, for if through the transgression of one individual, death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. Death made use of the one individual to seize the sovereignty. God had given Adam and Eve dominion. But when they sinned, the devil took that opportunity and seized the sovereignty. So in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Satan is called the God, small g, of this world. In John 12, Jesus said the prince of this world is coming. He called Satan the prince of this world. He said, he's coming. He has nothing in me. First John 5, verse 19. 
We know positively that we're of God. And the whole world around us is under the sway or the control of the wicked one. Amplified translation. Now notice it says the whole world around us is under the control or the sway of the devil. How many heard somebody say, well, if God's in charge of everything, he sure has made a mess. And if God's love, why is there, why is there hate and why is there war and why is there sickness and disease and famine and prejudice? I'll tell you why. Because the whole world around us is under the control of the wicked one. See, he, he used that opportunity to seize the sovereignty. Satan tempts Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the Bible says, and their glory. And he said, all this has been given to me. And I can give it to whosoever I wish. See, when Adam and Eve bowed their knee, Satan came in and seized the sovereignty. How many of you heard people uh, talk about God's sovereign, God's sovereign, God's sovereign? Well, in one sense, he is sovereign. If you take a, dish, a biblical definition which means that he is the supreme. Like they talk about the king of England being the sovereign. Well, how many of you know that things happen in England he isn't too happy about? And things happen on earth that God's not real happy about because he gave Adam and Eve dominion. Right? Now, the Bible tells us this. So, okay, we've got the first Adam. You're related to him, right? When he sinned, he represented you. And he reproduced in the condition that he fell to under the dominion of the evil one. So God sent, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, another Adam. The Bible calls him the last Adam. And he's Jesus. It says the first Adam was of the earth, of the dust. But the last Adam is the Lord from heaven. The last Adam is Jesus. Right? And he came as a representative man. Now, just like you were in the first Adam, you have an opportunity to get into the second Adam. So the Bible says this in Romans chapter five. It says that the free gift, that's what is offered through your union with Christ, is not like the offense. Now, the offense is what happened with Adam. So the free gift is not like the offense. We don't really talk like this. It's kind of like saying, uh, if I said to you, uh, how do I get to Holland Beach? And you said, you said to me, well, you, you know where Woodland Mall is? And I said, yeah. And you said, it's nowhere around there. <laughs> the free gift is not like, all right, the offense. How many of you know you didn't get to vote on the offense? It was just passed on to you. But the free gift you have to receive is to as many as receive him. To them, he gives the right to be the children of God. It's not automatic. And secondly, what God did in Christ is greater than what Satan did through Adam. In fact, it is so much greater that they're hardly even to be considered the same. They're, they're not alike at all. So Adam messed things up. God said, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send another representative, right? And that is Jesus. But really, when man sinned, and Satan began to use his dominion, his sovereignty. Right? God was on the outside looking in. And God needed a way into the earth because he had given dominion to man and man had lost that dominion. It would be like if uh, 
I rented a house from you. You were still the owner, right? But, but I rented it. And so you need my permission to come in. And here's the crazy thing. Adam and Eve, they sub-rented. They rented out to the devil. They subleased what God had leased to them. So God's on the outside looking in. He finds a man by the name of Abram. And this is what he does. He goes to Abram and he says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And I will, this is God's foreign policy. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And now this next phrase is super important. This is God's way into the earth. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. This is where the gospel is preached to Abraham. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is saying there, I'm going to send a redeemer and he's going to come through you. First in Genesis three, he's called the seed of the woman, but now he's going to be Abraham's seed. So God makes that promise. Well, God enters into a cup, but Abraham says to God, God, how can I know? How can I know for sure you're going to do what you said? This is in Genesis chapter 15. And God says to him, take some animals, divide them in half. And Abraham realizes what's going to happen. We're going to make a covenant. Right? So the animals are divided in half. There's blood everywhere. And then when it's time to make the covenant, Abraham falls asleep. And the Bible says that a smoking furnace and a burning torch pass through those pieces. So they're walking through these pieces. And by the way, they make promises to each other. Right? Now, most of us here enter into one covenant in our whole life. It's the covenant of marriage. How many remember the day you got married? That's not the part I'm talking about. I'm talking about the promises you made. Do you know you made promises that day? You said, I will. And I do. And I will. And you made promises the day that you entered into a covenant. Right? Now, God also made promises. But there's this furnace and torch that are walking through, right? Now, the New Testament tells us exactly what happened, right? It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, right? It does not say, and to his seeds, many, but as of one and to your seed, who is Christ, right? So God the Father, God the Son walked through these, these pieces in blood, and they make promises to each other. Right? Now, the New Testament gives us the insight into the promises. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But one of the promises, Jesus actually calls it, he called it the promise of the Father. This is where it was made. Right back here, Genesis 15, the promise of the Father. You say, what's the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father is to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. Right? Other promises that are made, you find them in your New Testament. And this is what they'll say, in him, in him, in the beloved. Those are the promises that are made as they're walking through these pieces. So to Abraham and to his seed, one, 
The Bible says his seed is Christ. Right? But then it goes on. It says, if you be Christ, how many you are? You're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the promises that were made, they belong to you. A little time passes. And Abraham is tested. This is what it says in Genesis 22. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, he wasn't testing him to find out if he was a good guy. He was testing him to see if he would hold up his end of the covenant. He's got to hold up his end of the covenant. So God says to him, take your son, your son Isaac, and go to Mount Moriah and offer him there as a sacrifice. The Bible says early the next morning, Abraham gets up. He's got his son. He's got two of his servants. They take a three-day journey, and they come to Mount Moriah. Now, I think it's interesting that we know exactly where he was. Uh, We've got a picture right here. It's the Temple Mount is where he went. Uh, It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Christian, you're a Muslim. Everybody says it. Everybody knows that that dome right there sits exactly on top of the spot where Abraham sacrificed his son. Now, that dome is called the Dome of the Rock. It's a Muslim monument to when they took possession of the promised land built in the seventh century. But it is over the spot. Now, if we could make the wall disappear, and then there's this this other wall that you can see, the walls of the Dome of the Rock, and then this wall, the Temple Mount wall on the east side, if you could make it disappear, it's, it's, I don't think it's more than a half a mile from where that dome is. I've walked it seven or eight times. From where that dome is to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull, the place where Jesus is crucified. Right? But Abraham's there, and he's about to sacrifice his son. And the angel of the Lord stops him and says, don't do it. Don't do it. Now I know, he said, that you're going to honor the covenant. And then the angel of the Lord called out a second time and said, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply you. Uh, I love the, 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 the message translation here. This is what God says. He says, I'll bless you. Oh, how I'll bless you. In fact, I want everybody to just say that. Just go, oh, how I'll bless you. God's not going to just bless you a little bit. He's going to go, oh, how I'm going to bless you. This is just not some little blessing that God's going to give. Right? Now, the Bible says that he swore by himself. So the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 6, talks about this. This is what it says. That by two immutable things. Now, number one, it's impossible for God to lie. And secondly, he swore. He swore by him. There was no one greater he could swear by. So he swore by himself. So the promise that God made, it goes on in Hebrews and says, you have a sure anchor for your soul. He said, you can be sure that you're 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 sure that God's going to do what God said he was going to do. So there's this covenant relationship. Now, the reason that God sent him there 
and said, offer your son is because God was going to offer his son. God was going to give his son on that mountain. In fact, as Abraham is coming down, he said, Jehovah Jireh. How many of you are old enough to remember that song, Jehovah Jireh? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I won't sing more. You know this. They asked me to quit the volunteer choir in fifth grade or seventh grade. Excuse me. I know I can't sing, but Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean the Lord will provide. It means in this mountain, it will be provided. The sacrifice was going to be provided because Abraham honored the covenant and God swore by himself, right? That those promises are going to be kept. Now, as you, as you read, particularly in the Old Testament, you, you'll find where it talks about God's mercy. And, and it's important to look up wherever it talks about mercy because you're looking for the word H-E-S-E-D, as said. And it's not just mercy. It's covenant love mercy, unfailing loyalty and favor. Right? Why? Because of covenant love. Now, that reminds you, if you are Christ then you are Abraham's seed and you are an heir according to the promise. This covenant love is for you, right? For example, in Psalms 136, the whole Psalm is, is like the Lord's good for his mercy. It's his covenant love, his unfailing loyalty and favor endures for ever. And that's the same covenant love that he has for you and for me. Now, we mentioned earlier, the Bible's written about two men. Both are named Adam. The first one lived in the garden with Eve. He was your representative, got us in trouble. The last Adam is Jesus. The Bible says he's the Lord from heaven. Now, he came to be your representative. So he represents you in everything that he does at the cross. In fact, he takes your condition on himself at the cross. Second Corinthians five, verse 17 says, if anyone be in Christ, be in Christ. And it's literally in union with Christ. You are a new creature, a new creation. Old things have passed away. Now, the first Adam got us in trouble, but the second Adam came and he took our condition. He went to the cross. Paul said this, Galatians 2.20. He said, my old man was crucified with Christ. So the person that you were born, Jesus took that condition and he took it to the cross. In fact, he took your sinful condition. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, says that he that knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin for us. God took your sin, your unrighteousness at the cross and put it in Jesus. Right? And then he took Jesus' righteousness and put it in you. Right? He that knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So if anyone's in Christ, anybody, Rich, poor, young, old, red, yellow, black, pink, polka dotted, green, educated, uneducated, anybody's in Christ, you are a new creature. 
a new creation. One translation says you're in a new condition. One translation says you're a brand new species of being that never was before. When you've come to be in Christ, you're new, but you're new on the inside. Uh, I, I went to church for 20 years, right? every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, and catechism, and it never sunk in. Right? It never changed anything. I, I, I believed in God. I believed Jesus died. I believe he rose again, but I believed he was mad, particularly at me. Right? And, and I, I had no relationship with God. So I went to a, a church service a lot like this. It was smaller, but like this. And afterwards, Bruce Roberts came up and showed me some verses in Romans 10 that whosoever would call on the name of the Lord would be saved. And so I, I, I knelt down with Bruce and, and prayed this prayer. Now, that's 49 years ago, by the way. And that prayer is still working. Still working. I want to pray that prayer with some of you at the close of this service. Right? So you said, what did you feel? I didn't feel anything. Didn't feel anything. But what Bruce said to me was, he said, uh, tomorrow morning, he says that you're going to see our friend. Because we had a mutual friend, right? And I would party with my, this, this friend, right? And uh, we were both attending Calvin College. And we would kind of like, there, was, there were several of us, and we would meet on the third floor in one of the corners. Like every day, that was our hangout spot, you know, where we'd study in between classes. Right? So he said, when you see this guy tomorrow morning, he says, you tell him that you came to church and you got saved. I remember next morning, I go to the library. I see him sitting there. And I says, you know what happened last night? And he said, what? I said, I went to church and I got saved. And he was like. Yeah. And, and I, I will say something. It, it, when I said that, it was just like something just kind of moved on the inside of me. All right. But I will say this. That was the end of our friendship. We never hung out one more time. Now, here's why we didn't hang out. Because I didn't want to. I don't think he wanted me to, but I definitely didn't want to. Because all of a sudden, something on the inside changed. Now, I remember before we would go to church on Sunday night and then we would come home. And in the house, some of you can remember one of these. OK, we had this big television that also had a record player and a AM ref AM FM radio. I remember those. OK. So Sunday night, we'd get home from church. My dad would go over there and he'd spin that thing over to WFUR. All right. That was like the religious song station. All right. And, and he was in World War II. And I think he shot his gun too many times because he was hard of hearing. Right. And he would crank that thing up. All right. And I remember running into my bedroom taking the pillow and putting it over my head and over my ears. And then I remember the song, there was one song, you know, about the solid rock. And I said, I hate that song. I hate that song. I hate that song. I'd be sitting there for 45 minutes. I hate it. 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 I didn't like, I didn't like those songs. I didn't like the church. I didn't like the pastor. I didn't like anybody in the church. I mean, I didn't, I did not want anything to do with church. You know what I'm they made me go. The rule was, you live in my house, you go to my church. That's what dad said. All right? So I had to go. Now, here's what crazy. All right. All of a sudden, I wanted to go to church. I wanted to worship. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to hang around with Christians. 
All the stuff I used to want to do before, I didn't want to do. And the stuff that I didn't want to do, I wanted to do. You say, what happened? If anyone's in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. When you're a Christian, listen, you get ruined for sinning. It's just no fun anymore. You say, what do you mean? Well, there's an old song that says it like this. It says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You see, if, if you're in Christ and you're not, you're not living right, you're just miserable. You see, what you need to do is you need to be a sinner because sinners can sin and love it because they've just got sin on the inside and sin on the outside. But if you've got the righteousness of God on the inside and you're not living it, you're miserable. He made him that knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So I want you to just say something. Just say, I'm righteous. In Christ, I'm righteous. But that's where you are. You're in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul speaking, he said, my old man was crucified with Christ. Other translations says, Jesus took my old person to the cross. See, you were crucified with him. He took your condition and he went to the cross to pay for your condition. But you weren't just crucified with him. If you're in Christ, the Bible says that you're buried with him. You're raised with him and you're seated in heavenly places in Christ far above principality, power, might, dominion, every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. So you're in Christ. You're in union with him. He took your condition, but he took you. So you died, you were buried, you were raised, and you're seated together with him in heavenly places. You say, what difference does that make? It makes all the difference in the world. You're not trying to get blessed, you are blessed. You're not trying to get healed. The devil's trying to get you sick. You are healed because you're in him. You're victorious in him. The devil's trying to get you addicted, but you are all, how many of you know it's easier to get what you've all, to keep what you've already got than to get what you don't have? And you've got it because you are in Christ. Colossians 1 verse 12 giving thanks to the Father who's qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, those are the, the, literally, this inheritance are the promises that were made back there in Genesis 15. But God qualified you. Now, you were not qualified because you worked in children's church for 38 years. You're not qualified because you've been in choir because you prayed, because you fasted, because you gave. You're not qualified because you read the Bible. You're qualified because Jesus took you to the cross and you died, you were buried with him and you were raised together with him and God qualified you. You say, but I don't feel qualified. That's all right, you're still qualified because it's not based on what you've done, it's based on what he has done. And then it goes on and says that he has translated you out of the kingdom of darkness. One translation says the gloom and doom of Satan's kingdom. 
Another translation says, he translated you out of the jailhouse of darkness. I like that. That's Satan's kingdom, the jailhouse of darkness, into the kingdom of the son of his love. You see, we need to know who we are in Christ. We need to know what belongs to us in Christ. In Colossians 2, we just talked about Colossians 1. It says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They're all hidden in him. And that's where you are. You're in him. But listen, they're not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. You got that? God's not hiding things from you. He's hidden them for you. But we, what we've got to do is we've got to have knowledge of what God has done for us. Who you are in Christ. What belongs to you in Christ. In Christ, you are victorious. In Christ, you're delivered. In Christ, you're free. In Christ, you're blessed. In Christ, you're the head and not the tail. In Christ, you're above and not beneath. In Christ, you've got dominion. You have authority. You're healed in Christ. It belongs to you in Christ. That's why the Bible says in Philemon 1.6 that we need to acknowledge every good thing that belongs to us in Christ, in him. We've got to acknowledge who we are. Uh, E.W. Kenyon said this. He said, most Christians do not experience victory because they do not declare who they are in Christ. We need to know who we are. We need to recognize every one of those promises are yes, and they are amen in him. And that's where you are. You say, I don't feel it, but you're in him. Doesn't matter what you feel. It belongs to you. It's part of your possession. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Second Corinthians 5, 17. When anyone is united to Christ, united to Christ, there's a new world. The old order has gone and a new order has already begun. Another translation says a true Christian is not merely an altered man, but a man remade. You're just not altered. You are remade. You are remade, regened in Christ. My favorite translation says it this way. If a man is in Christ, he is created new. The man that was has passed away. And behold, a new man is created. The man that was has passed away. You know, before I knew Christ, I was crazy. I was crazy. And I've had people that I went to school with come to me and said, hey, you, 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 you remember this, 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 and that? And I, no, that guy's dead. He's dead. He's passed away. But there's a new man. There's a new man. And Paul said this. He said, it's Christ in me. He said, I died at the cross, but now it's Christ. He's in me. T.L. Osborne says it this way. He said, little me moved out and big Jesus moved in. He moved in. You are a new creation in Christ. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You may be a lot like I was. You, you, you know about God. You've been to church, but yet 
you're not right with God. Some of you, you're away from God. Others of you, you say, I, I, I believe in God, but I'm not living for him. I've never given him my heart and my life. See, the Bible says to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. And I want to lead you in a prayer today to receive him, to give him your heart and your life. Jesus said you must be born again. It's not enough to know that Jesus came, to believe in God, to know that he died, that he rose again. You need to receive him. So I'm going to ask if you can to take hands with somebody today. And we're going to pray a prayer out loud. And I want you to make these words your own. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. This is basically the prayer I prayed 49 years ago, still working today. I want you to repeat this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I give him all of my heart in all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for Jesus. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer. That my past is gone. That I'm a part of your family, your kingdom, today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.